0: Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at at mystoryatsummitsa.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Well, we're in a series called The Pursuit of Happy. I picked up the title from the movie with Will Smith, the pursuit of happiness. Because if you listen to people, you'll hear it, particularly young adults, you'll hear it a lot. I just want to be happy, right? Well, we're learning a lot about happy, what it really is, how it comes, and how fickle it actually is. So everybody wants to be happy, and we understand that God is pro joy. He even commands us to be joyful. We know it's the evil one who loves human misery and suffering. So I'm going to read a passage from Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And then I'm going to share with you four misery-enhancing strategies. Yeah, you might want to use them this week if you want to be miserable. And a lot of people do. Philippians 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and what has happened to him is he's been arrested, beaten, put in prison in stocks, subject to a little bit of torture. He says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the entire palace guard and to everybody else, I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the good news without fear. Now, it's true that some around me preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter's do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from a false motive or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yeah, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to go on living in the body. It will mean fruitful labor for me. Well, what do I choose? I really don't know. I'm torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's a lot more necessary for you that I remain in my body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So let's take a look at some Misery-enhancing strategies this morning. Number one, if you want to make your life miserable, wait to be happy until all of your circumstances are just right. And you know how long that will be? The rest of your life. Notice the phrase in verse 12. Paul says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He does it again in verse 19. I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul is referring to the fact he's in prison. Now, if you were thrown in a Roman prison, being beaten and then put in stocks, I doubt you'd be real happy. Could I get an amen on that? Yeah, I think so. Paul says, no, to the contrary. It has become clear to the whole palace guard, I'm actually in chains for Christ. Now, Paul is chained to soldiers that are called the palace guard. They're like the secret service for Caesar. Now he can tell them all about Jesus all day because they can't go anywhere. They're chained do we? Paul had been trying to figure out how to get the gospel to Rome, to Caesar. And usually in that day, you had to bribe somebody to do that. But now, Caesar is chaining his guys to me, Paul says. They've got to listen to me. They can't go anywhere. So Paul doesn't think he's their prisoner. He thinks they're his prisoner, and he's going to use this moment of a happy hit in order to have meaning and purpose. So not only is the Word of God getting to Caesar's people, but brothers and sisters are looking at what happened, and now they're getting fired up and encouraged because joy and courage are contagious. So if Paul can face this trouble with the right perspective, well, so can they. So Paul says, I want you to know how I view what's happening to me. Now, last week, we looked at the happiness paradox. And it says, you can never be happy if your ultimate goal in life is to be happy. Interesting, isn't it? But if I choose meaning... I get happy thrown in as a byproduct. If I choose happy, I get no meaning nor happy. Do you understand that? So I just want to be happy. Happy is never a goal. Happy is a byproduct of a meaningful goal, a life with purpose and meaning, and happy comes along for the ride. All right, you'll see more about that in a minute. Let me make you more miserable first. Now, this week, we kind of look at the happiness illusion. It says this, I'll be happy if I can just get, and then you fill in whatever the circumstances I desire. But research has shown people are horrible at predicting what will make them happy. If I just had that house, if I just had this job, if I just had that salary, if I just had this hot body, or if I just had this lifestyle, or if I just had abs of steel, or if I just had his spouse or his, her husband, then I would be happy forever. We ought to talk to them. It's probably not going to turn out that way. Never does. The problem is not that those things don't make us happy. They just don't make us as happy as we thought for as long as we want. Why do you think McDonald's has sold billions of Happy Meals? I'm going to get the kid a Happy Meal and shut them up. Yeah, for three minutes. It never lasts. It never lasts. And then when you get older, our Happy Meals just get more expensive. But they have a short-term life, and it never lasts like we thought it would. It's never what we thought it would be. People get what they wanted, and then they're not as happy as they thought, which leads to a real important question. What's the relationship between the word happy and the Bible word joy that's used always in the Bible? Well, happy is a feeling. It's an emotion. We often ask somebody, how are you feeling today? Nobody ever asks, how are you thinking today? The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. No, how are you feeling? How do you know my my feelings are very subjective throughout the whole day? If you charted it, it would be up and down all over the place based on what was going on at that moment, right? Well, that's a pretty darn fickle way to have to get happy. There's nothing substantive about it. So happy is my feeling when something I like happens to me, which makes happy extremely fickle. I've never been happy when I was summoned for jury duty. Anybody join me on that? Okay, good. And neither were 140 other people that joined me early in the morning downtown. But once the court judge thanked us all for coming, knowing we had busy lives, busy schedule, and this was a big interruption for eight bucks, he reminded us that jury duty might be real low on a happy producing scale, was quite high on a meaningful scale. That's why our Constitution, uh, that's part of our Constitution and what it means to be a citizen of America. He said, while you and I are in this room, people around the world are fighting and dying for the privilege you are serving right now, which is trial by jury. And man, all of a sudden, I kind of got out of my funk and my low-level happiness, and I got inspired. I was getting meaning out of this thing. I couldn't wait to get on a jury. The judge asked me if I could, you know, be able to say whether the defendant was guilty or not. I said, look, I'm a pastor. I preach the Bible. All have sinned. Of course he's guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. The whole world is guilty. I didn't get selected for the jury. My point was that most of the whole 140 people in that room got their attitude turned around by meaning. So it didn't matter about happy taking a hit. I had joy knowing I'm doing a meaningful service and I want to do it well because if I were sitting there, I'd want to make sure if you were on that jury, you were focused about it as meaningful as I would be, right? Yeah, oh, the shoe's on a different foot. So we live for happy, but it just comes and goes based on what happens. Oh, if I could date him, if I could just date her. Oh, God. I mean, you know, we got examples all over the place. I've never, I've never seen an unhappy wedding. But it's the going home part and living together that's hard, right? Dear Lord. I mean, it, it takes Jesus to stay married. Yeah, oh, yeah, come on. Now, I hope the young adults that are all looking to to pair up, take notice and, you know, put a break on for a little while. Enjoy single life for a little while. Nobody telling you what to do, where you're going, when you're coming back, how much did you spend for that, blah, 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 blah. No. Somebody said marriage is like a city under attack. Those inside are trying to get out. Those outside are trying to get in. (laughs) So here's the thing. Paul talks a lot about fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness. And they are not feelings. They're not emotions. They're conditions of my character. They're part of my personality. They're stable no matter what the circumstances are. A loving person consistently wills the good of other people, and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are because they are a loving person. They still are, no matter what. If it's a generous person, they're still generous even when they have little because it's what they are. These are the fruits the Holy Spirit wants to produce in all of us. But if I idolize the feeling of being in love or being loved, I'll never do the hard work I need to do to enter into the condition of being somebody constantly in touch with the fact I am loved by God and I'm able to will the good of other people regardless of circumstances. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Peace, Dr. Dallas Willard up in, uh, up in Dallas, Texas Uh, a a great professor and theologian, said, peace is the rest of your will. It results from assurance of how things will turn out. So I'm not under constant worry and unrest because I know in God how ultimately things are going to turn out. I don't know if you're aware of it, but God's kingdom will endure forever, if I'm listening to Isaiah correctly, of His kingdom there shall be no end. Now, we watch nations come and go, leaders come and go. God isn't going to lose anything. Y'all might remind you the earth doesn't belong to the devil. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell in it, Psalms 24. Some of you watch too many news broadcasts. North Korea won't get it. Iran won't get it. God's got it, all right? And God's people will inherit it. I know there's trouble up and down, but I'm saying to you the ultimate outcome's not in doubt. You got more hope of a flea on crutches trying to stop a stampede of elephants than the enemy trying to stop God. It isn't going to happen. Not going to happen. So some of you need to relax, relax, chill. Get, you need to play that eagle song. I got a peaceful, easy feeling. I got a peaceful, easy feeling. You want me to play it for you? No, don't tempt me. I, don't tempt me. So if I don't have that peaceful feeling, then I medicate myself, and I go into maybe conflict avoidance. But I won't do the hard work necessary to enter enter into the condition of being a person who's at peace in God, where the peace of Christ reigns in my heart, as Paul said. So if I walk into the doctor's office, and he says, well, Rick, it looks benign, or or, Rick, it looks like uh, I did a biopsy, and it looks like it's stage three cancer. I don't fall apart like a cheap sweater. I've got peace. I'm in the hand of God. He knows my beginning and the end. The days are numbered in his book. No weapon for me can prosper. I'm gonna fight it. I'm gonna pray against it. I'm gonna battle it. I'm gonna pray for healing. But if that doesn't happen, I'm not gonna fall apart. I got peace. I I have absolute confidence that, that I've given my life to Jesus. I have eternal life. I won't get it. I already got it. And not even death can separate me from that. So I walk in peace. I'm not worried. We ought to, some of you ought to be like Clint Eastwood, you know, the dirty Harry. Go ahead, make my day. Spit that right in the face of stage four cancer. I wish we could produce more people like that. Instead of falling apart, you're really good on praise the Lord, hallelujah, wave a hanky, blow a whistle, run around, but then when the doctor gives you bad news or the police show up and your kid's been arrested or something for something, then it's like, oh, oh, oh. that's not good. I'm very concerned, but that's not good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna show that. You know, where's that deodorant commercial? Don't let them see you sweat. Don't let the devil see you sweat. Don't let the devil see you. You got God backing you up by your side. He didn't take him by surprise. He took you by surprise. So so hang in here. I'll give you a little more more hope here in just a second. So joy is another condition. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy, not happy, joy. God never promised anybody a happy life, but He did promise you one filled with joy. And it's a pervasive sense of well-being. The Hebrew word for it is shalom. And only God can bring shalom. Joy is not a feeling. It's not even a choice. It is a condition of the heart into which I grow as a fruit of God's Holy Spirit in me. So we are joyful because of Jesus. Jesus modeled it in his life, taught about it in his teaching, and died so that we could obtain it. So Paul is in chains, beaten, in prison, still had a pervasive sense of well-being no matter what the circumstances were. People will sometimes say, I'm doing okay, Rick, under the circumstances. But Paul didn't live under the circumstances. His God was over the circumstances, so he lived over the circumstances. So joy was just the condition he found himself with. One of the reasons we're so bad at predicting what will make us happy is we underestimate the power of little interruptions, little problems, little hiccups, that have over our lives. Two summers ago, I was walking out of the house in the morning, headed to the church for a meeting, and as I walked out, I looked to my right, and I saw something that wasn't normal. I saw water flooding the porch, pouring out of the water heater room. And I said, praise the Lord. No, I did not. That's absolute nonsense. Now, I wasn't in chains. For Jesus or in prison. I hadn't been beaten so I didn't have to freak out and lose my joy. I did lose my happy for a little while. Shoot. I at, doggone it. Oh man. So I told my wife to call the plumber and I went on to the meeting. I didn't lose my joy. I was still living a meaningful life on my way to due purpose. Happy just took a little hit, about $450 hit, right? Anybody take a hit like that? I, I hope you're getting the picture here that happy is very fragile. You can't live with happy, but you can live with meaning and still have joy. So I didn't lose my joy. God still loves me. That's a piece of equipment, and it's, gonna, it's been in there for 10 years. It's going to rust, and all of our water heaters in this room are going to go bad. Sooner or later, so it's inevitable. You'll have a flat tire. The battery on the car will go. The devil's not judging you. God's not judging you. It happens all the time to everybody, right? Kids disobey. What have I done wrong? You had a kid. That's all you did wrong. That's, what, <laughs> that's life. That's life in a broken world. You see, I, I just think people get way too too stressed out and try to get too deep theologically about common things that just are part of life. I'm going to, one, maybe I can get Austin to sing the little Frank Sinatra, That's Life. <laughs> That's life. <laughs> you can't deny it. Many times i tried, but my heart just won't buy it. Right? You, do you all know Frank Sinatra? Uh, am I ahead of you? I get a lot of good theology out of some of those songs. They just fit right in the Bible. They're really good. So if you want to make yourself miserable, wait for circumstances to make you happy. But if you want to live in joy, then ask, God, where are you in these circumstances? How can I honor you in these circumstances? Who could I serve in these current circumstances? Because if I'm going to be with God and do life in God, it'll have to be in these crappy circumstances because that's where I am now. And if that's where you are now, that's where God is with you in those circumstances right now. So say, what do you, you know, if I got a flight delay, maybe he wants me to speak to somebody. I had a long delay, a discount tire with a, a flat tire in, in a new car. And, and the second day with a big bolt in the tire. And then the guy's going to take an hour and 20 minutes because it's packed. When I went in at four o'clock in the afternoon and I thought, well, oh, my happy took a hit. So I went and took a seat, and another lady came over and said, and she's from Jamaica, and we had an amazing conversation. And I said, you know what? We were both laughing about how long. We, I said, this might be a divine connection. It really, really, and it proved to be exactly that. But my point was, after I got over being unhappy, <laughs> renewed my mind, I started focusing on opportunity. Is there an opportunity here? or whatever, and there was. So try it. See if that doesn't change your perspective a little bit. Number two, if I want to make my life miserable, compare yourself to other people. That'll do it. Compare yourself to other people. Paul says some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry towards me, others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. That's verse 15. Now, notice these jealous and envious people were in the church where Paul is, not out of it. They were jealous of Paul's success. He was reaching more people than they were. He was more effective than they were. They thought that if they could do better than Paul, they'd be happy. They'd feel better about themselves. You know, if Paul would do worse, I would feel better about myself. We do that with marriages, our salaries, our house, our kids, our body, our IQ, our possessions, our education, our level of success. But when I envy somebody, not only am I not happy because of what I'm not getting, I'm unhappy because of what they are getting. See that? I'd be less miserable if you were more miserable. (laughs) Goes on in church, goes on everywhere in life. A woman dies and goes to heaven, and she asks St. Peter, how do I get in? He said, you just have to spell one word correctly. She says, what word? Peter says, love. She gets right in. A few years later, St. Peter asks her to watch the gate for a few hours. She does. To her surprise, her husband shows up. She asks him, how have you been, Fred? He says, actually, quite well. You remember that beautiful young nurse that took care of you while you were dying? I married her. Then I won the lottery. I sold our little house. I bought a large mansion. My wife and I were skiing in the Swiss Alps when I had this terrible accident that brought me here. But I made it to heaven. How do I get in? She looked at him and said, you got to spell one word correctly. What's the word? She said, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) You will never see a happy, jealous person, ever. Paul talks about two groups of people. One group watches Paul and says, thank God. Another group says, why him and not me? One researcher did a study on comparison. People compare themselves to other people. They thought, before research, that people that were unhappy compared up. That is, they look at people with more success, more money, and they're unhappy. They also thought that happy people must compare down. They look at people with less success, less money, makes them happy. But what they discovered in research was that happy people didn't compare at all. They didn't compare up. They don't compare down. They used internal values as to how I'm doing, and then they take pleasure in other people's successes. They even show concern for other people's failures. So pray for the person you're struggling with envy or jealousy about, and it will always be usually in your field. Ministers struggle with other ministers, Race car drivers are not jealous of ministers. They're jealous of other race car drivers. Celebrities envy or jealous of other celebrities. Salespeople struggle with other salespeople more successful than themselves. So pray for the person that you are jealous of. Third, if you want to make your life miserable, go it alone. Go it alone. People think of Paul as being difficult and cranky, but if you read his letters, I think we get a little different picture. Look at his language in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. It is right for me to feel this way for all of you because I have you in my heart. God can testify how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He calls them brothers and sisters and he pours his life out for them and it fills them up with joy. Did you know that research on longevity went into the study thinking that people who lived the longest were people who had someone looking after them? But what they actually found was that they who had the longest longevity were people who had someone to care for totally dear serving others there's a sermon there Uh, what did jesus say i didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many you try to get people to serve in a church it's like pulling teeth everybody wants to be served but nobody wants to serve and yet that's life in the kingdom paul goes on to say i'd love to go on and be with god but if i keep on living it'll bring joy to your faith so i'm gonna keep on doing that Researchers found that in any relationship, when there is a ratio of five encouraging, hope-filled, bonding comments for every one negative emotional comment, that relationship will flourish. Marriage researchers can predict with a 90% degree of accuracy if a marriage will make it or not by listening to a husband and wife talk for 15 minutes. Wow. Because if the ratio is lower than five to one, that relationship is headed for trouble. Same for business and staff. If it's five to one, five positive comments to one negative, the team will operate in optimal performance. That's why Hebrews 3 says, let us encourage one another daily because we all need it every day. Encouragement every single day, right? So, there will be some correction, some admonition. That's part of healthy relationships. But be sure you follow that up with more encouraging words. So when you do have to correct or rebuke, particularly our children, be sure you add five positive comments to that to offset that one, and things will go well. If you're a cranky person, get in a connection group in this church with five happy people in it, Then you can balance it out, and everybody can grow. Yeah, there's probably a group with five happy people just waiting on your arrival. And last, number four, if you want to make your life miserable, adopt pessimism as a life orientation. Adopt pessimism as a life orientation. Now, there's a difference between little optimism and big optimism. Little optimism focuses on little hopes. I hope I find a convenient parking spot at church today. I hope the sermon is almost over. It's not. (laughs) Big optimism focuses on the big picture. This is a magnificent time to be alive on planet Earth. Wherever there's a problem, that's where God wants to put a church or a Christian, because we're the answer that is God's answer. We're the salt of this earth. So get in a mess and season it a little bit. Optimism is mostly good. It's associated with health, the ability to persist, and having lots of friends. Some of you need to work on your personality. What's inside is not transferring to your face. So, so you'll say, well, I I don't have many friends. Well, you're not friendly. You, you. Oh, you're a nice person. You're a good person. You love Jesus, person probably. But you come in, and you don't meet anybody. You don't aggressively go out of your way to greet somebody, shake hands, good morning. And I'll walk all over this auditorium shaking hands when I come in early. I have guests today. We'll walk around and get different sides just, just to meet and greet and be a happy person because I want lots of friends. And Bible says, he that has many friends must show himself friendly. I told you about that large church in the city where I had that talk with the Jamaica girl at Discount Tire, and she said, I went to that a very, very large white church, and they told me that uh, you're not our kind of people. And I thought, oh, brother, I'll tell you a lot. The point, the point was that probably is not the view of everybody, but it is obviously the culture. And that comes from leadership either being absent or not being proactive in making sure that is not acceptable. Zero tolerance for that. And if you're here today from Jamaica, I'm glad you're here. You are welcome. You are with the right people, baby. Yes, you are. A lovely Christian lady. Anyway, big optimism is more powerful in your life than little optimism. And all I was trying to say is, if you want a lot of friends, you're going to have to get in a connect group. You're going to have to meet people. Go shake hands. Watch the people with the most friends, and you'll find out they're pretty popular. But you you watch them, and they're, they're hugging everybody. They're always shaking hands, hugging everybody. How you doing this morning? It's hard not to like them. Who wouldn't like them? You think people are just going to come find you out in the middle of this congregation and say, I noticed you looked unhappy, sad, withdrawn, and morose, and so I just wanted to come over and share some of that joy you got with me. I wouldn't. So it's, this isn't rocket scientist science, is it? So optimism is not good if it's not based in reality. Paul uses something larger than optimistic to describe how he gets up in the morning. I eagerly expect and hope. Although I'm in chains, I eagerly expect and hope. Although I could get word at any moment about execution, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for me to live as Christ, to die, uh, I got right perspective to gain, Philippians 1 verse 20 through 21 How do you stop a guy like that? Obvious answer, you cannot That's not little optimism, that is Christ So for Paul, life is summed up in Christ Loved by Christ, inspired by Christ, sustained by Christ. He serves Christ, he loves Christ, and he follows Christ. Therefore, when he faces problems, whether in chains or in prison or in persecution, he has this expression, but what does it matter? In Greek, it's just two words. So what? (laughs) Big deal. Who cares? Whatever. I love that. This week, when something goes wrong, say, So what? Big deal. Who cares? Whatever. See, the car breaks down, so what? Water heater goes out, big deal. Who cares? The important thing is this magnificent Christ has acted, was crucified, resurrected. Therefore, the kingdom of God up there is now coming down here. I pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't need you in heaven. There's no assignment in heaven. There's nobody to win, to help, to restore in heaven. Are you kidding me? Where does God need us? Here. Why does God say, you that are sick, let the elders of the church and those pray with you and the prayer of faith shall restore? Why does God bring healing? Why does God bring deliverance? If he wanted you in heaven, he'd just kill you quick. No, in general, unless your time is fulfilled, God wants you here to to, to salt it and light it and to do something about it. Not just sit around, say kumbaya, we all have some assignment or some purpose. So because of this, Paul says, no matter what happens to me, I will rejoice because joy is not a feeling of happiness due to what happens or I'd never have any joy. It's a condition of my soul. It's a pervasive sense of well-being. So no matter what bad news comes to me, I still have the, I, my mind is renewed. It's, I, I am begotten of God. I am the righteousness of God. I am accepted in the beloved. I have a hope in a future. His will for me is to do His will and uh, to, for me to prosper, to be in health. His will for me is always good. It's never evil. Uh, He's the lifter of my head, my rear guard, my fortress. I will never leave you or forsake you. I renew my mind with that a little bit, and I'm, I got a peaceful, easy feeling. Even if it ain't happy about what's going on, I have joy in my heart. And if the devil threatens to kill you, you and say, well, make my day. I'm just going to be with Jesus. Big deal. I already got eternal life. He defeated death held in the grave when he rose from the dead. So I got nothing to be afraid of. And that's what made these people turn the world upside down. You're worried about your reputation. You're worried about, oh, I got a bug. Oh, I might catch something. Uh, maybe I'll get the swine flu or something. I, I People that just worry about everything. That make you sick. Make you sick. What happens to some optimism here and a little bit of hope? See, I've got a pervasive sense of well-being. It's the only rational response to the resurrection of our Redeemer. It is the eager expectation and hope that makes prisoners fill with anticipation at what this great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to do. It's God's grace. So... So what? Big deal. Who cares? Whatever. This week, fling that right in the face of darkness, despair, depression, discouragement, and death itself. So what? Big deal. Whatever. Who cares? That's what joy is. So go out and spread it around this week like fertilizer. How about a good amen? Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.